Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. I get to continue the series in Malachi. And so the Malachi is the last book of the Bible. If you weren't here the last two weeks, we covered um, much of the book. Um, it's actually pretty short as um, last book of the Old Testament. Thank you, Phil. Last book of the Old Testament. And as someone pointed out this morning, it's only four short t- or three short pages. Did you say three? Three in your Bible. Okay, there you go. Three three and four and some others. Okay. And Malachi is a promise and a warning. And, um, Bill shared it was, he opened the series with you. He talked about how it rests on the reminder of the covenant love of God. So we, that has to be at the forefront of your mind when you are reading the book of Malachi, that it's all based on the fact that a covenant and a covenant was, it's kind of, it's more than a promise. It's more than a vow. It was lasting and God made a covenant with his people and God does not break his covenants. People break covenants all the time, but God doesn't break his. And so this book is God saying, I have kept my covenant. And in that covenant, there are blessings and there are curses. And there are things in there that you need to know and understand. Um, there's an introduction in my, um, one of my study Bibles. And it starts, and I just want to read, read you a portion of it. It says, this final book is about the error of forgetting the love of God. When people forget God's love, it affects their attitudes, their home, and their worship. With God's love and loyalty in doubt, sacred commitments no longer remain sacred. God sent Malachi to rouse the people from their spiritual stupor and to exhort them to return to the living God. But the book of Malachi reveals a people who question the reality of their sin and the faithfulness of God, a people hardened through and through. And much of the book, if you read it, it's almost as if it was a courtroom, you know, where God is saying one thing and the people are coming at, well, really, how are you doing this? And God says, well, this is how I did this. And so it goes back and forth and it does, and it has six disputes in the first two disputes, Bill covered The first one was right understanding. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that that covenant is a covenant of love and that he continues to love you through and through? And then the second dispute was right worship. If you believe that God loves you and he's given you everything, do you worship him the right way? Do you give your whole life to him? the way he gives his whole to you, the people that Malachi was speaking to did not do that. You know, uh, and he goes in and he talks about people being, or he talks about the priests. It wasn't only the people that weren't worshiping correctly, but the priests. And do you know that we have been called priests? If you believe in Jesus, you were called to be a priest in his kingdom. And so that is a, is a warning to us as well. Are we giving our whole heart and our whole life to worship the Lord? Um, the, the scripture that comes from is first Peter two, nine, he says, but you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises to him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the New Testament. That is, if you believe in Jesus, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then Cameron talked about right relationships and what it looks like in marriage. What's the covenant of marriage? And how do we honor God in our marriages? And then he continued in having right relationship with our community, which is everybody. Everybody. Not just the people sitting in here next to you. Not just the people that you go home to, but the people that you meet on the street. The people you walk past in the mall. The people that don't bag your groceries the way you like. Do you have a right relationship with them? Are you shining the light of God's love in the world that is so dark? Are you doing it every day? And today I get the honor of talking about giving, which is hard. It's hard. And then we circle back to right relationship with God. So the, the fifth dispute is giving the goal of is giving, oh, blah, 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 blah. The goal is right giving to God. Um, and so we pick up in Malachi uh, chapter three, verses six through seven. And he, sa- and he starts this by saying, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your ancestors have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. He starts by saying, I, the Lord, do not change. And that is really important because it harkens back. The the people that he was speaking to were Israelites and they knew way back in Exodus, the Lord says, I, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now we did a whole series on this. And what you need to know is that the Lord doesn't change. He's still compassionate today. He's still gracious and slow to anger today as he was in Malachi's day, as he was in Exodus, which was way back when, right? He is not changed. And, and I just, just want to point out this whole part here about he punishes the children with the sins of their parents. That doesn't mean that God says, wow, Kathy, you did this wrong. So I'm going to punish your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. What it means is that there is things that if I do them in my house, my children will do the same thing. And so will my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And so that sin will continue unless I make it right with the Lord, right? When we make our lives right with the Lord, then those sins are not passed on. Anybody seen alcohol run right through a family, through the family line? And it's not because God says, oh, let's go ahead and punish them. It's because what you do affects your family. And so your faithfulness to God will continue in your children and your grandchildren, right? 
so then he also says, so you, the descendants of Jacob. And I read uh, one commentator said, this is almost like, it's kind of a, it's a dig at the people. Because if you know the story, Jacob, God used Jacob, but then he changed his name and turned him into Israel, right? And Israel is the nation that he loved. But if you know who Jacob was, Jacob was a deceiver and a cheat, right? And so when God is telling them, you are the descendants of Jacob, you're the descendants of cheaters, which sets up what he's about to say. He's saying, you have, you are not descendants of Israel who was right and called by me. You're like taking after this attribute of this cheater and deceiver. And, and, um, they say, wait, you say return to you. Um, or he says, how, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God yet you rob me? And, and, but you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So robbing God, <laughs> so we have to understand that in, in the time of the Israelites, so the Levites and the priests they didn't get to work. Their work was doing the work of God in the temple. And so people, his people would have to provide for them by bringing their tithes. And so that would be in the offering of food and it would be bringing all these things. And we heard in when Bill was talking that they were bringing things that weren't really great. They were bringing the leftovers. They were bringing the things that weren't good. They were bringing whatever they could scrounge up and giving it to the priests. And the priests were saying, yep, that's good enough. Instead of saying, you know, no, we're supposed to be giving God the best. God gave you everything and you're just going to give him some leftovers. <laughs> I, um, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about, um, one of my kids, I'm not going to name which one, because that would be mean. Um, but they had this thing at school where you could, um, if you had money, you could shop for your family. And they were, oh my gosh, you know, the little, the little heart that says best friend, you know, like, you know, you had the doodle and then they had little toys and whatever. And so I, my child asked me for money. I want to go shop. Would it be okay? And I'm like, oh, you're going to buy gifts for your family. That was what it was for, gifts for your family. And so I gave them some money, and they went shopping. And they came home, and they were all wrapped up. <laughs> and, uh, and I was looking at them, and I was like, um, these are all to you. And they were like, well, yeah, um, but they said we could do that too. And I was like, okay, so what, what are you going to give, you know, your family members, me? And, um, and they said, oh, I, I have, I have a plan. I was like, okay. So on Christmas morning, I got the discarded toy from the year before that they didn't want anymore. That may not have worked either. But I had given that child the money. 
I gave them and they couldn't even give me one thing. How often do we take for granted what God has given us? We live in the wealthiest nation in the world, even if you're dirt poor. God has given you everything you have. Um, a tithe is 10%. It was outlined very much in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, if you'd like to investigate it more. You would bring a tithe, you would bring your 10%, but you also were required to bring offerings, which is above and beyond. You know, Jesus talked about, I, I read this, Jesus talked about money and possessions, 15% of his time. Least we could do is give 15%. Um, and, and in Deuteronomy, you'll find that there were consequences for not, for not giving tithe. And it, and in Deuteronomy, it says, because you did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. I give you this, everything you have, and you can't give me a little bit back, then I'll make sure we take it all back. But there are some people who say, well, that's great, but we're not under the law anymore, right? Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, which is true. It is absolutely true. So why should we still tithe? Well, there's this thing, this chart that Bill came up with which is great, but tithing actually was instituted before the law. It started with Abram, who became Abraham. He, um, he had his nephew Lot was captured, and so he goes to rescue Lot and all of Lot's possessions and all of his family and all of, all of the things, and on his way back, he comes and he meets a king named Melchizedek. But Melchizedek is not only a king, he also happens to be a priest. There's little known about this king priest. However, uh, he gives them food to re refresh them. This king uh, priest gives them food. And Abram goes and gives 10% to the priest of the Most High God. He establishes that we need to give to God this 10%. And do you know that later in Hebrews, it talks all about how Jesus is our priest in the line of Melchizedek. And so Jesus is who we give our tithe to. We give our tithe, not just because of the Old Testament, but because Jesus is worthy of it all. And then Malachi continues and he, and Jesus, not Jesus, God says this, he says, test me in this, says the Lord almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. Wow. God is saying, go ahead, give it a shot. Have you tested God? He's, he's asking you to give 10%. See that your bank account doesn't change. And it's true. I have heard story after story, testimony after testimony of people who've done this. And somehow they're like, I just don't get it. I don't get how it works. Like I have this much money and then I start tithing and I, I still have enough to pay everything. How is that possible? I don't know, but God, right? Test me in this. Have you ever heard somebody say, I gave to the Lord and it didn't work. I I actually haven't heard that. You know what people treasure by where they put their money. It is a barometer. At this time of the year, if you looked at my bank account and you looked under my Christmas tree, you would see what I treasure. I have a lot of family that I really love and I love to lavish gifts on them. And God has lavishly gifted me with the means to do that. The least I could do is give him back. My husband lavishes love on me. You look outside. I have this really cool car Got a new car. I'm so excited. It has all kinds of bells and whistles and he would deny himself to give that to me. Do you love the Lord? Do you believe? I I think the problem with giving is this. I think we really don't believe that God's the one who gave it to us. But I was the one who did the work. I was the one who got up every day, went to the office, stayed there all the time. I earned that money. God didn't give it to me. When I worked extra, you have a wrong understanding of who gave you that job, who gave you the ability to work, who gave you the breath that you breathe, and who created you. Understanding the right, understanding who gave you everything changes your perspective. That's the way Alex could look and say, why did God get so little? Because he had a right understanding of who gave it to him in the first place. God's the one who makes the sun rise and the sunset and the earth spin and the crops to grow. And we don't farm anymore, so we don't always see that it's him that everything hinges on. We take things for granted. But giving sets us free from the worry of money. And and God, 
not only does he want you to give, but he wants you to give it regularly. Uh, in First Corinthians, we we learn on the uh, for the that. Uh, Paul is telling them, so this is what you should do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, keeping with your income, saving it up, so when he comes, you can give. You should plan it out. It should be done in regular times. You should think about it ahead of time. It shouldn't be that today, because I'm talking about money, which I tell you I don't enjoy doing, that you would suddenly decide I'm going to give this week. This should be something that you think about every time you get money in your bank. And unfortunately, when we don't cash checks anymore, does anybody remember that? Cashing checks? Okay. Um, now it just goes in your bank account and it's suddenly, oh, there's look at my bank account. It's better now, you know? But when that happens, you should think, wait a second, in advance, think about what do I set aside for the Lord? Regularly do this, proportional to your blessings. When you get extra, do you think, wow, I got extra, I should give it to the Lord? Or do you think, I really wanted that thing in my Amazon cart? And it should be done privately. We don't come here and say, guess how much I gave today? How much did you give? The Lord's really been blessing me. How's he blessing you? He has this whole thing about pride he doesn't really like. The attitude of your heart matters. We should be generous in our giving. We are Christians. That means we've been set free. I understand that my freedom was bought with a price. Jesus hung on a cross so I could be free. That was a huge gift, a huge sacrifice. I should be generous with my giving and freely do it and be happy about it. <laughs> Second Corinthians says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or because Kathy's preaching about it, but for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly. Did you know he's able to bless you? That he wants to bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then we have the sixth dispute, which is circling back to the whole book in the very beginning. Right relationship with God. This matters to the Lord. The people are complaining endlessly. And God says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. And you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the God Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And, uh, and, and this, this um, harkens back to Malachi 2, 17. And the Lord said, you have wearied the Lord with your words. 
by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with them. Where's the God of justice? Has anybody looked around and seen evil people getting everything? So we think they're prospering. The wicked keep getting more. People who are doing good get less. It's not fair. This is what Malachi is talking to the people. The people are saying, I look around and look at all the evil is doing. They're, they're flourishing all of the, and if you look around our world, it seems that way. The, I, I, the sex trafficking, the, the people who are greedy and, and don't take care of their workers and they're prospering and they make more money and it just seems like there's just this unequal balance. The problem is this. Serving God is a long-term investment. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. How many of us want everything to be, when we come to the Lord, we get saved, we want it to all be right, right then? Anybody ever, like, struggled? It's the long-term investment that we're going after. It's the long the long hard road and it's hard to do sometimes jesus said pick up your cross and follow me it doesn't sound easy and it's not meant to be because he cares about you your whole life your whole heart things are hard sometimes because he wants to purify us he wants us and and you know when you do it I was thinking about this the other day, 34 years. When I first started serving the Lord, you know that first part when it's really easy because, oh my gosh, you're set free. And then that second part where suddenly you're like, yeah, but wait a second. I thought it would be like that way forever and it's not. And then you're like, there's that years of like, you feel like you're trudging. And then it gets easier because you get used to doing it. You don't just like, Ooh, exercise. Like, <laughs> it gets easier if you do it all the time. But if you don't do it all the time, and then you go to do it again, it's like, oh, here it is, hard again. You know, giving to the Lord, following the Lord, it's, it's hard sometimes, but it gets easier. The Lord responds to their complaint about evil prospering. And he says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name on the day when I act says the Lord almighty, they will be my treasured possession. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. He knows there is people. He's talking to the people of Israel who've come out of Babylon. They're trying to rebuild. He's saying, there are those of you who listened, who feared me. I'm hearing you. 
I hear your prayers. He hears your prayers too. He hears you when you say God has taken care of me. He hears you when you share those words of encouragement to other people. And then he says, I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. My child (laughs) who gave me the lousy gift, you could tell it in their eyes because they were, they couldn't hardly look at me when I opened it. But I spared them and said, you know, I appreciate that you gave me a gift. Of course, the next time I gave them a specific list and made sure that they held to the list. But because I want them to understand what it means to be generous. I want them to understand what it means to give back, to have a right understanding of who it is that's supplying them. Because that's what God wants for us. He is our father if we choose to be his son. And there will be a distinction. He's building this up. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoers will stumble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and it will go out and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Surely the day is coming Surely the day is coming. What the prophet is hearkening to is this thing that we call the day of the Lord. And, and to have a right understanding of the day of the Lord, you have to understand that there was more than just one. So there is the day and we all in, especially in America, we think apocalyptic times, right? We think the end when Jesus returns and everything is made right. Yes. But there are other days of the Lord. And this is the best way I can show you. So this is um, some mountain range out in Oregon, I think. I was thinking of Mount Fuji, but I couldn't find a good picture. Um, So a day of the Lord is when he comes back and he um, sets right the things that are wrong. And what happened is, is, so Eden... Remember, there was sin in Eden. So God made it right by casting out Adam and Eve for good reason, because he didn't want them to stay stuck in sin forever. And he delivered judgment on the serpent. That was a day of the Lord. But so was Babel when the people decided. So in Eden, the other problem, the heart of the problem was Adam and Eve and the serpent wanted to decide what was good and what was evil on their own. We want to decide what's good and evil. Anybody looked out in our world today? Anybody seen a little bit of that? You know, we want to decide what's good and evil. You can't say what's right. What's right is whatever I think. That, 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 that's a lie. FYI. That's why Adam and Eve got kicked out. 
In Tower of Babel, they did the same thing. We want to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. We're going to decide good and evil. And God says, oh, no, you're not. That was a day of the Lord. And then Egypt, the Israelites are taken into Egypt and they're enslaved and they're in captivity for 400 years. And God comes with vengeance and he justly pronounces judgment on the Israel, on the um, Egyptians and he frees his people. He made it right. That was a day of the Lord and Babylon the same way. So the prophet is standing on that mountain of Babylon and he's looking forward and he sees the day of the Lord and he knows what other days have happened. And that's what he's speaking to. He's speaking from that perspective and he's saying there will come a day. The Messiah is coming and he's coming to make right what was wrong. And Jesus did that. He defined good and evil. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, this is what's right. And this is what's wrong. This is what my father says. This is what I say. He defines it very clearly, but he also will come back and to meet out justice. He did it in his day when he overturned the tables in the, um, in the temple. And he did it when he reached out to the poor and the blind and the lame. And he did those miracles because he wanted the hearts of people to change. Jesus came back to right the wrongs. And we know what is right and wrong. We have the book that tells us if we would just open our eyes and see, if we just, if we would just know it's the long haul. It's the long road that we have to take. The book ends with a conclusion and it not only ends with a conclusion of the book of Malachi, but it actually concludes the books of the prophets and, and the whole old Testament. And, um, it's only three verses and it kind of ties it all together. It says, remember the law of my servant, Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He's telling them Elijah is coming and who was Elijah? John the Baptist. He sees it, sees it clearly. When Jesus comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the children to their parents. He is going to clearly show you what my father did for you. He made a way 
In the Old Testament, they didn't, they had a way of burning lambs and, and trying to atone for their sins. And we don't have to do any of that because all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins, that God loved you so much. He, he loved you so much. He gave his son. Who's going to give their son? Who willingly says, here, here's my offering. Here's my son. I wouldn't do it. But God did because he loves you. And Malachi sees it. He sees there's a prophet coming and then the Messiah will show up on the scene. And no one understood. They wanted the Jesus that comes back. That was not what they needed. Because when the Jesus that we see coming back would not, that would have been a scary thing for them. It would have been very bad. And God says, before that time, before that time, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. <clears throat> that, that commentary at the very beginning, uh, it concludes by saying, thus, the book, Malachi, ends on a poignant note, a confrontation between a disappointed God and a disappointed people. In a sense, the book of Malachi shows that the Old Testament has come to a chasm with bickering voices of the people on one side and a stern warning of God on the other. The only, only the Lord himself can provide a way out of this impasse. Malachi looks forward to this deliverance for he speaks to the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. The promised Messiah is the only one who could bridge the widening chasm between the people and their God. God says, I don't want you to be stuck here. The, the day of the Lord, the last day, I'm going to make a way before then. And he sent his son for you and me. Do we have that same passion for him that he has for us? Is your passion even a tenth of what God's passion is for you. It should be. He gave you everything. He gave you his son. He just wants you to love him back. That's all, all I, when I look at my kids, I just want their love. At Christmas time, they want to give me gifts. I just want your love. That's all I want. God just wants your love. And he knows it by what you do and what you say and how you give and how you treat others. Jesus said, greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. What a wonderful word. Um, some awesome things for us to respond to. I do just want to take a few moments here and um, share a little bit more um, because this verse has been misused and a lot of people have been affected by that in the past. I'm going to clarify a couple of things for how we um, teach about tithe here at New Day. So when it says in verse 10 of Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
that there may be food in this house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. So let's talk about what that verse is not saying just real quick. Um, it's not saying, um, it's test me in the tithe. So some people could misuse this and say, you need to give um, some really big, extravagant, like give everything and that's not what this is saying. He's not saying test me in that. He's saying just test me in the tithe. And he's not saying you need to um, like um, think back and all the backlog of all the tithe that you've not done, this overwhelming, okay, I haven't tithed in a couple of years, so, oh, this feels right. He's just like, it's start today. Just start this week. Start next week, start in 2024, and simply tithe 10%. It's a simple, and then it's faithful, and you just faithfully do it week after week. That's what this verse is challenging us to do. And when you do it that way, we believe, and I've seen it again and again, the only times you asked, has anyone ever said this hasn't worked? Yes, people have told me it has not worked, but it's because they did not do what this verse says. They did something beyond or extra. Um, and so I just want to clarify, if you're not a tither, begin this week, begin now, and, and God really will be faithful to you. I um, was uh, challenged years ago. Some of you have heard this testimony of mine. Um, but Bill really taught me a lot about generosity and, and tithing when we first got married. And it was a challenge for me to tithe 10%. I was um, just, it was just hard for me to, to give that. I, I, was, I felt scared that if I gave that, that I wouldn't have enough. This lack mentality also contributes a lot to people who struggle with tithing. And it was the year um, 2010, it was maybe in the fall, and I just really wanted to grow in this. And so I said, okay, Lord, for the rest of this year, I am going to tithe 10%. It was 2010. And we had these friends of ours who were extravagant givers, and I was so challenged by them. They actually tithed, uh, or they gave 20% of their income. And I was like, wow, what would it be like to give more than 10%? I just couldn't imagine that. But I really wanted that. I wanted to be generous. And so I just made this like kind of, I don't know if it was my idea or the Holy Spirit's idea, but every year I would up it 1%. So 2011, I gave 11%. 2012, 12%. And it was just really slow process up to the year 2020 of, of me just being able to slowly learn that I could trust him in everything. And you know, every single year when I would look back at my finances, because I had my own business at the time, Somehow, I made more than 10%. The, um, I'm not saying that right. The, I made, uh, my increase was more than 10% of an increase. And I was, how is that possible? And um, it, just, it just was. And so I just really want to encourage you that um, God is really good and gentle and kind. And when you set your heart and your feet on the track to follow him, 
he is going to help you along and it doesn't have to be this like harsh immediate you better do it now figure it out now it's like this really kind like just over the course of 10 years he just massaged my heart and grew to the way to where I could I could happily give 20 percent you know and so I just want to share those things with you um, I really want us to have a healthy relationship with money, healthy relationship, um, because it's a big part of our lives, and we completely trust the Lord that he's, he's going to provide. He's so good. Um, so thank you, Kathy, for this, this word this morning. It's been uh, wonderful, and it sets us up perfectly for celebrating Christmas Eve together next week, right? The Messiah, he is the one um, who, can, who can fix all the wrong that Malachi shows us. And so would you just stand with me and let's pray. Yeah. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you that you are, always remain faithful even when we are unfaithful wow so we um thank you for your faithfulness and help us to be more like you and be more faithful and um, we do we look forward to the day of the lord we look forward to um, when you are going to right every wrong and we trust you in your timing for everything and i pray blessing over each one in the area of tithe. Lord, whatever, um, whatever is holding anyone back from tithing, it's probably a lie of the enemy or maybe a wound from the past. Whatever it is, Lord, would you just heal that? Would you write that? Would you readjust that thinking um, and so that they could have freedom in this area and experience um, just the, the blessing and the prosperity of following you in this aspect of life. And um, I just pray a blessing over each one who has been faithful in this, that you would just continue to bless them. And uh, I thank you for that. Lord, we honor you this morning as a congregation. We, we yield to your Holy Spirit. And we're devoted to be followers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.